As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, before we dive into this episode, I want to mention show sponsor Public Goods. Now you've probably heard me talking about them before, but it's because I only work with brands that I actually like and use, and Public Goods is one of them. They've done so well in stocking their online store with sustainable, clean products, from shampoo to razors to muesli that you keep in your pantry, and my boys love the muesli. And so when you buy things online, it's important to know where they come from. It's important to know that what you're putting in and on your body is clean. This is 2021. Toxicity is not an option. We need to do our homework when it comes to the products we put in and on our bodies. Um, and of course, because they are a sponsor of the show, you know you're going to get a good deal. If you go to publicgoods.com forward slash unstressed, you get $15 off your first purchase and there's no minimum order. So go to publicgoods.com forward slash unstressed and get your $15 today. This episode is also brought to you by Motherhood Unstressed CBD. This is my line of organic USA grown hemp that was specifically designed to help you, the listener, battle stress and anxiety on a physical level. And what I think most people don't understand is CBD is not going to get you high. Yes, it comes from the hemp plant. The hemp plant looks exceedingly similar to the marijuana plant, but it doesn't have high levels of THC, which is the molecule that does create a psychoactive effect. CBD isn't going to get you there if that's what you were desiring, sorry, but it is going to help balance your endocannabinoid system, which is an overarching system that controls every other aspect of your body. So we're talking about sleep, your stress response, how happy you feel, your dopamine levels, all of those things. So if you are interested in feeling better and feeling less stressed, then head on over to motherhoodunstressed.com, click the shop tab and use the code podcast to save 20%. You are listening to the Motherhood Unstressed Podcast, and I'm your host, Liz Carlisle. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm so glad that you're here. And if this is the first time that you're listening, welcome. I'm so glad that you found me in the show, and hopefully soon you'll be doing a deep dive into all the meditations and interviews with guests, experts in medicine, in self-love and self-care, best-selling authors, you name it. Each one giving you the tools that you need to create the most beautiful life that you desire. And that's that was why I started the show. That's why I continue it on week in and week out. It's because that's what matters. You know, we're here to fulfill a purpose, to find the fullest expression of our lives. 
And when we can listen to others who have been through something or have studied something extensively, I think that that's the most empowering thing we can do for ourselves. And most of these episodes are 30 minutes or less, so that's a great way to incorporate it into your life in an easy way. And that's really what today's episode is about. I'm speaking with the amazing Ruby Warrington. She's an author, a podcast host, and founder of Numinous Books. And she's joining us today to discuss her latest book, The Sober Curious Reset, and the benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. And we're diving into the question of, would life be better without alcohol? And I think, you know, unless you have a raging alcoholism problem, you know, you don't ask yourself this question. I certainly didn't. Um, It was when I read Ruby's first book, um, Sober Curious, that it sparked it sparked something within me to start questioning, you know, why I drank and was it really worth it? Am I making a smart choice for myself and for my life? And uh, I think this is, this episode is going to provide a lot of fertile ground for you, um, for self-knowing, for self-exploration, and ultimately for self-empowerment, which circles back to what this show is all about. So I hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, please share it with a friend. That's how the show gets out to more and more people. It's not you know, reviews on Apple Podcasts or anything like that. It's a friend sharing it with another friend. So when you do that, I so, so appreciate it. And uh, hey, if you want to leave a review, please do that as well. So please enjoy my episode with Ruby Warrington. Well, hello, Ruby. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you for having me, Liz. It's great to be here. (laughs) Yeah. So for the unindoctrinated, please share with us what it means to be sober curious and why that has become your clarion call. Wow. Well, that was a term I came up with to describe my own evolving relationship with alcohol about five years ago. I had been questioning my drinking for about five years up to that point, but very privately in my own head, in those morning after moments or those kind of like very socially pressured moments when I was feeling like I needed to drink to fit in those sorts of things. Um, Questioning whether what the real impact of my drinking was on my overall well-being, questioning whether I was drinking too much, questioning why it was sometimes so hard to say no, um, questioning what my life would be like if I drank less, questioning why I couldn't envisage a life without alcohol at that point, um, questioning whether this meant I was an alcoholic and I needed to go to AA. But then I would look at my drinking and it wasn't causing me the kind of major problems that we associate with alcoholism, right? Um, And I... I became curious as to whether there was perhaps like a middle path for people like me. You know, I was a a heavy social drinker, meaning I drank three to four nights a week, pretty heavily at the weekends. And my whole social life kind of revolved around alcohol, but very like normal drinking in terms of the the social circles that I moved in, just the way that alcohol is consumed in our society. Um, And it wasn't feeling great. And I kind of wanted to quit, but I also didn't because, like I said, I couldn't imagine not drinking. I couldn't imagine the gaping hole that this would leave in my life, (laughs) what it would do to my friendships, my relationship, like all of this stuff. Um, And I did eventually go to a couple of AA meetings, but what I heard there in those rooms did not reflect my experience at all. And I felt Mm -hmm. like an imposter. I've since learned that many people who do find their way to AA and, and use those programs to quit drinking also feel like that, that it's not necessarily the place for them. Their drinking was never that bad. But it just all sort of started to coalesce in this real sense that many more people than were probably talking about it were also questioning their drinking, questioning the logic behind it, questioning 
the impact it's having on our lives. And so I, the term sober curious describes that questioning process. And those questions can be very personal to each individual. And the big question is, would my life be better without alcohol? I have since discovered that my life is way better without alcohol, as have most of the people who, have, who, who I know who've got sober curious and actually realized that they don't need alcohol, that actually it's taking a much deeper and greater toll on their overall well-being than they'd ever really realized. Um, so yeah, this is this is this this is what it means to be sober curious. And it really just, just means to to when those questions arise, and sometimes, like I said, they can be super private, mm-hmm. they can be very internal, they can feel quite shameful sometimes, but actually to address those questions as they come up for you, to really question everything and anything about your relationship with alcohol. Yeah. And that's such a beautiful, succinct way of saying it. It's like, we grow up thinking that this is normal behavior and like, unless it gets really, really bad, you know, we're, we're just doing what everyone else is doing. Why do you think that that is so prevalent in our culture? I mean, my goodness, I think there are so many reasons um, where to begin. I mean, alcohol's just always been there, right? As you say, we, we, we live in an, an alcohol-centric kind of society. Like, it's very, very normalized, socially acceptable to drink and to drink quite heavily. Yeah. If anything, it's abnormal not to. And like you said, until very recently, there's been very little reason to question your drinking unless it gets so bad that you're one of those unlucky people who has the disease of alcoholism. And that's a very binary thinking. It's like, here are the problem drinkers and here's everybody else. And the problem drinkers, well, they have a problem. So I definitely don't want to identify with that group, right? And so that's just been kind of the thinking and the status quo. But I think the reasons that we use alcohol, now that's when it gets really interesting, And that's what so much of the Sober Curious Path is about. It's about really following the breadcrumb trail of all of those questions in order to lead you back to your deep, deep why. Why am I using alcohol? And there'll be many similarities there. Lots of us use it to relax. Lots of us use it to socialize. If we have social anxiety, it's a really good social lubricant. Lots of us use it to fit in. Lots of us think we like the taste of it. Um, But then lots of us are also using it to numb out the feelings Mm. that we don't want to feel. And that's like, well, I'd say that's actually all of us at some point, you know. And I also think that until recently, we haven't had much language or many spaces to talk openly about mental and emotional well-being. We have physical, we have doctors to attend to physical problems. Only very recently, I mean, I'm currently reading Prozac Nation, which came out in 1995. And that was a groundbreaking book in terms of being able to talk about mental health and depression. But it's only really in the past 20, 30 years that people have been able to speak openly about mental health issues. And I think even with the advent of social media, that's become maybe more commonplace. But so until then, what do you do if you've got, if you're depressed? What do you do if you have anxiety? Well, alcohol is (laughs) delicious, glamorous, affordable, accessible, socially acceptable. It also makes you cool and popular and means you can fit in. So why would we not reach for this substance Anytime that we're feeling a way we don't want to feel, it just makes a lot of sense that we use it the way that we do, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and it's you put it in a way where I've never really thought about it before. And I think that that's the case with so many people. It's not even on the radar. It's just what you do. But uh-huh. then you go to a party and you choose not to drink and it's like you're the center of attention. So why do you think that exists? I mean, because everyone should be able to do whatever they want to do. If this is socially acceptable, great. Why is not drinking why is that such a big deal? Well, I think part of it is the fact that 
abstaining, abstinence, has been so stigmatized. We associate it with someone who has had a problem with drinking. Mm. And it's just sort of human nature to want to distance yourself from like somebody who's maybe had some issues or they've maybe got some issues. So there's that, that might even be conscious. But among the drinkers, there might be the sense of like, oops, something went wrong for them. That's why they're not drinking. Oh, do I have the time to talk to them about it? Do I want to know? Do they want to share? Like just a lot of awkwardness because of that stigma. Um, And then I also just think, yeah, because it's so ingrained that we drink, (laughs) you're kind of sticking out like a sore thumb when you choose not to. And then on the flip side, you not drinking immediately puts a mirror up to everybody else's drink. Yes. So if there are other people in the room who've maybe been asking those same questions to themselves, again, like I said, very privately, because this is a highly stigmatized um, conversation, um, you not drinking will make them more aware of how much they're drinking. The fact that they maybe feel a lot of pressure to drink and I don't want to, maybe they're questioning whether they're drinking too much. Maybe they're questioning, why do I feel like I need to drink to fit in in this situation? So you not, you become a sort of little beacon, (laughs) shining a light onto all of that stuff, which people might not be ready to look at, you know? So there there are many reasons. And another thing is drink, if you think about it, like drinking occasions and under that umbrella, I will put parties, bars, dance parties, like kind of louder social gatherings are not really designed for non-drinkers. Right. They're not really so much fun if you're a non-drinker. There's like a very specific kind of socializing that happens when everybody's drinking. And it's, yeah, it makes sense that you would feel outside of that because you're sort of on a different vibe. So, but that can be a huge deterrent to people, the, the discomfort of fielding other people's questions and feeling like the outsider can be a real big deterrent for people following their impulse not to drink. Yeah. Um, so I think part of the mission with Sober Curious is to try to normalize non-drinking and to remove some of that stigma. And like you say, like, let's just make it as normal not to drink as it is to drink and just make it a personal choice, which is essentially what it is. Yeah. But you think about the people who are choosing not to drink, who are asking these questions, most likely they've already dealt with a lot of social anxiety. That's why they drank in the first place to take on now. Okay. I'm going to be fielding questions. I'm going to be just fielding other people's energy. You know, what would you say to the woman listening to this, who, who wants to do that, who, who's becoming braver and braver with every moment? What does she do? What's the first thing that she can do to really feel that and to stand on her own in that moment? Um, Well, it can be very helpful to really start to get clear about what kind of social situations do do I enjoy and who do I actually enjoy spending time with where I don't feel the need for alcohol. And to, in the the first instance, just prioritize those connections, prioritize those kinds of social situations. I also, like I said, you know, I, I did feel a lot of social anxiety and definitely used alcohol to feel more confident and more fun and all of that stuff. It was only when I removed it that I realized I didn't actually need it and that those situations weren't nearly as intimidating as I had anticipated them being when I was thinking about not having a drink. And actually when I was there, maybe I didn't want to stay as late and maybe some of those questions got a bit annoying after a while, but because Mm -hmm. I was in fully in my own energy and fully like had full capacity of my sort of like, um, I wasn't out of it, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually able to be like, okay, I've had enough of this. Now I'm going to leave and go home. And actually putting that kind of a boundary up 
to shield your energy, to say a no thank you to any more of this conversation, that's incredibly empowering. And over time, those kind of situations can start to build your inner self-confidence, whereas you've been outsourcing your sense of confidence to this substance the whole time. And what I found, and I think a lot of people on this path discover, is they're actually a lot more confident than they ever knew. It's just that they've been relying on this substance for so long, they've kind of forgotten their own inner confidence. So yeah, be gentle on yourself. Think about who are the people in your life that you can that you can happily not drink with. If those seem few and far between, there are now, thankfully, more and more kind of spaces. Most of them are online currently, obviously, <laughs> um, where you can meet community of other people who are also kind of in this questioning. There's a Sober Curious Facebook group, which has over 3,000 people now, and people just being really honest and vulnerable about what they're experiencing, how it is, incredibly supportive of each other. Um, it's really lovely. So yeah. And I think don't, you know, there will be removing yourself from the dominant drinking culture, marking yourself as an outsider. It's hugely intimidating. We have this kind of primal human need, not even desire, need to fit in and be accepted. So the thought of not being part of the group is very, very frightening for people. It absolutely makes sense. There's nothing wrong with you. It doesn't mean that you're weak if you're feeling that way. It's completely normal and expected. Um, and so take your time with it. Take it slowly. Yeah. Don't force yourself to like go to every gathering. If you can, <laughs> I'm going to do it. it. But like, don't, don't make it hard. Like take it one step at a time within your comfort level, you know? Yeah. And I think that this is such an important conversation to have right now during the pandemic. I was reading the other day, alcohol consumption among women alone is up like 17% mm. uh, just since the beginning. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, and we're not even in social situations. These are people at home trying to numb and cope and deal with the stress. And so it is, it is such an important conversation to have to, to show people that there is another way and that it's, Mm -hmm. it's not as bad as you think. Now Mm -hmm. in the Sober Curious Reset, you, you mark out a plan essentially for a hundred days. Why a hundred days? Cause that seems like that's, you know, usually it's like six weeks or a month or what, what made you pick a hundred days? I mean, I'm a, I'm a writer, right? It just sounds, honestly, it just sounded good. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Also, but also given, um, my experience of kind of being on this path, like I said, now for kind of 10 years myself in and out questioning backwards and forwards, testing out, does it work for me? Can I moderate? No, I don't really like, like really on the path. I discovered that Three months is when you really start to settle into it. You really start to feel the benefits and to get comfortable with this is my new normal. Mm-hmm. And so things like dry January, for example, sober September is now a thing. These kind of month off or month long challenges are becoming more and more popular. Yeah. I think that's great. Like anything that's kind of like a socially sanctioned excuse not to drink, they make it so much easier. You can just say to people, I'm doing dry January. So much easier. Um but they really just kind of scratch the surface and actually taking it that extra mile in this case, another like not 60 days <laughs> or 70 days even um, is when you can really start to, like I said, just kind of settle into it. It can start to, you start to get a lived sense of this actually feels good. I actually don't need this thing. I'm enjoying all of these benefits and all of this extra time and all of this extra confidence and why would I, why would I want to go back to it again? That 
typically, in my experience and among many people in my communities I hear it reported, that starts to kick in around the three-month mark. Mm. So the extra 10 days on the end of that are just kind of like, you know, when you do like an extra 10 push-ups at the end of right, like right. a workout, it's like, oh, actually, I can do, I can keep going. I can keep going. You kind of surprise yourself. So mm. that was the idea with the 100 days, yeah. And it seems like too, like the core central theme of the book is is a broadening of self-awareness, of self-knowing. And it's like drinking is like the doorway into that. And that's a very big undertaking. I mean, you can spend a whole lifetime and never really know who you are. So why was that so important to you to include in the book and to really hit home? Yes, exactly. Like you say, this is Quitting drinking is the kind of gateway into what becomes a real journey of self-discovery. Yeah. Each day of this, the reset has a different question for you to think about with regards to your drinking. And then there's some writing on that and a little exercise. It might be a journaling exercise or some kind of a thought experiment for you to just kind of see how that applies to your life. I think that level of intentionality is what makes the change really stick. I was actually speaking before this call, there's a charity in the UK called Alcohol Change UK. And they're like the official, they came up with Dry January like seven years ago. They're the official body, governing body of that. And Richard, who's the founder, was saying that there's a huge difference between the change sticking, whether it's like, I want to quit forever, or I want to like really moderate my drinking between having an intentional sort of an intentional mindset around the change to just kind of going into it blindly white knuckling like I can get through this month you can even feel it in the words as I'm describing it to you Mm -hmm. going into it every day with a little check-in which is take those deep questions those questions which I I mentioned you know this sober curious journey really truly about getting to your very deep extremely personal why I use alcohol what this substance is providing for me that I feel I can't live without there are broad themes there. I feel like it makes me more confident. I feel like it helps me relax. But then underneath that, why do I not feel confident? Maybe I have low self-esteem. Well, why is that? And that's like incredibly personal stuff, which you may want to find that you want to bring to your therapist, you know, as part of this work. And I think the reason that quitting alcohol is actually such a good way into this kind of path of self-discovery is that alcohol is a substance. It's a numbing substance. Mm -hmm. So essentially what it does is separate from our felt experience of our life. It separates us from the emotional messages that we get that tell us how we're feeling about anything in any given moment. And that, again, is why it's so appealing in a situation like we're currently facing, because who really wants to feel how I feel about the pandemic? It's very, very challenging. So for anyone who is getting sober curious now, I'm just like, bravo, because this is really like the most, probably the most powerful time you could be doing it, you know? It's interesting as well. You mentioned, you know, most people drink for social anxiety. I don't actually think that's necessarily true Lots of people do. There are, I've found again in my kind of research, there are people who drink more to mask social anxiety. And then there are people who drink more at home alone Mm. to medicate feelings of depression and loneliness. And so I think actually that second group are having a much harder time during the pandemic. And in that case, it's about finding ways to have connection that feels meaningful and deep, even when you can't be with your people, you know? Yeah. Um, And it can also be, I'm a huge fan of, there's so many great kind of alcohol-free alternatives coming onto the the market now. And sort of, if you are 
feeling if your ritual is like a couple of glasses of wine at the end of every day or whatever it is to kind of signal some me time or signal the end of the day or just kind of break up this monotonous kind of like <laughs> 24 yeah, 7 like mush that we're living in <laughs> um sometimes actually while it feels like what we want is the drink and yes for sure it brings quote-unquote benefits in that it shuts off some of the thinking or the anxiety or whatever but actually replacing that with another ritual can be really important and a really good way to feel like you're giving yourself something. Yeah. You're giving, you're giving yourself a treat. You're giving yourself something to nourish yourself. You're paying yourself a little bit of attention and you can finding ways to replace that with something else, I think is really, really valuable. What are your thoughts on cannabis use? Because I know for a lot of people, it's like, well, I don't drink, but I use cannabis and that, you know, that does it for me. And I'm actually more in tune with my body and my thoughts. What are your thoughts on that? I think that the sober curious approach can be applied to any substance or any behavior. Social media is another thing that we Mm. all use to just numb out and disappear from the world into these days. You know, for example, TV. (laughs) I am like, I am like shamelessly binging on TV every night at the moment. And it's great. (laughs) Luckily, there's some really good TV out there. Anyway, as with anything, it's not really about the substance. It's not really about the level that you're consuming it. It's how is this impacting my life? Mm. Is this something that's bringing, enhancing my life, expanding my awareness? Is this something that's increasing my levels of well-being or is it detracting? Is it separating me from myself? Is it separating me from my family? Is it ultimately bringing me down and contributing to my problems? And I think that's a really, that's a really honest conversation to have with yourself. And so much of this sober curious path is be about being really honest with yourself. And we all know, we all know, we all know when we're lying to ourselves. We all know when we're kind of like glossing over what's really going on. Um, and so again, it's just about, is this something, how, what's the overall impact of this on my life? Yeah. And if there's, curi- if there's curiosity around, for example, um, you know, is, is cannabis relaxing me or is it kind of like numbing me out mm-hmm. and separating me? Then the only way you're going to answer that is by stopping for a while. Same goes with alcohol. It's like that question, would my life be better without alcohol? The only way you're ever going to discover the answer to that is by stopping. <laughs> right. So And yeah. facing it. Yeah. yeah. It does. It's something that seems to take a lot of courage, a lot of bravery, not just to go out into the world and say, no, I'm not going to do this, but just to be able to look at yourself, really look at yourself and to see who you are at this point in your life. And what was the most surprising thing that you found or that, you know, the people that you research and work with usually find in that? It can, yes, it can require bravery and it's so fulfilling and the rewards, which may not be the kind of quick fix that we've been taught is what works the best or that we should be aiming for. Cause this stuff, like you say, it can take lifetimes really of peeling back the layers, yeah. but it's so rewarding to be able to feel like you're getting closer and closer to the person that I really am, you know? And I think that's what I discovered on my journey. Um, And how to describe that? I don't know. Yeah. That meant coming closer to the things that really make me joyful, coming closer to really knowing what relationships feel like a yes for me and which feel really draining. And I need to put a boundary up around. It's also come closer to looking at stuff, I'm really angry about with my parents since I was like 
20, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. and the anger is still there because I never confronted it before. So there's definitely some challenging stuff that can come up, but I'd rather confront it um, and know it and know it as part of myself and be able to integrate it than keep kind of like trying to avoid it. That takes up so much energy, avoiding our truths, avoiding the truth of who we are, no matter how painful they are, it takes up so much energy. Just the time management, time and energy management of like concealing that stuff from ourselves first and foremost is exhausting. Yeah, it can be challenging, but super rewarding in the long run. Yeah. I mean, this just seems like such a prevalent issue, you know, and it's an issue that people don't even think is an issue a lot of the times. How do you stay optimistic and take on this massive issue, you know, through the work that you're doing? How do you have hope for for all of us out there who want to change? Well, I think the number one thing is I'm constantly, it's something we hear often, alcohol is a depressant, right? Most of us will have heard that. And yet, we still continue to drink it thinking it's going to solve all of our problems. Yeah. Again, it's something we don't question. And another surprising thing about quitting drinking was that actually I feel so much more resilient and more optimistic than I did as a drinker. It's almost like when I was in my drinking days, I would kind of measure my wink, my week by which days I was going to be drinking. So therefore, which days I might have a hangover. Mm. And so I'd kind of plan my week in that way. And I don't think I'm alone in that. Right. Um, and I felt like in that I was on this kind of treadmill. I'd only ever see as far as the next weekend or perhaps as far as the next vacation, which would be an excuse to kind of like drink every day. And hey, it's vacation. Right. <laughs> or as far as like the next Christmas or whatever. But now with that all kind of off the table, it's like the sky just feels bigger. It feels like there's just so much more possibility that's kind of there in this big space that's been created by removing the substance and managing the substance from my life. And this is why often people will ask me about like, well, is it okay to moderate? Like, is it possible Mm -hmm. to kind of just cut down? So maybe I just have a couple of drinks on a Friday night and that's it. For one, Alcohol is extremely, extremely addictive. It's one of the five most addictive substances on the planet, which again, we don't put it in the same category as things like heroin and cocaine, but it's it's as addictive as these substances physically. It's physically the only substance you can actually die from physical withdrawal if you've been drinking like that heavily. And it's shocking to me that it is such an addictive substance that is completely hand-fed to people through the media, through magazines, through, you know, every source of of media out there. Exactly. And through the peer pressure as well. But Yeah. yeah, I think thinking about removing it from your life for that reason can feel very intimidating, partly because of the addictive nature of it. Like the fear of giving up, fear of missing alcohol, what I call FOMA, is actually a symptom of our, if I don't want to use the word addiction, attachment to it, Mm -hmm. right? The fact that I fear not being able to have it, that's a really good piece of information about how attached I am actually to this thing, which I didn't, would never say I was addicted to because that would mean I'm an alcoholic and that would mean I have to go to AA and that would mean I have to give up completely. And then I'm back where I started. (laughs) So people, this is where I was going. People think about like, can I try and, can I try and moderate, you know? But typically what I've found is that again, the energy, the mental energy that it takes to manage that desire, keeping it in your life, even if it's just, I'm just allowed two drinks on a Friday night. Mm -hmm. If you're spending the whole week thinking about those two drinks on Friday night, by the time Friday night comes, you're exhausted. 
your willpower is probably out the window and you'll probably end up drinking more than you wanted to. And then you'll feel so bad about the fact you did it on Saturday. You might, you're like, I might as well drink now anyway, because I messed up yesterday. Right. And the cycle continues. And I've just seen that so, 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 so many times in myself and like many other people that have been on this path with me. So yeah. this is why, well, so being sober curious does not by any means mean you have to quit drinking completely. If anything, it's about like live with this for a while and actually kind of like really question how it's going while you're still drinking. But for me personally, I choose to be completely abstinent now because I just don't, I have so much more energy. And like I said, so much, I'm so much more optimistic. There's so much more space in my life without that thing, you know? Yeah. And honestly, like I never started to question, I didn't question it at all um, until I had children and I started to see, you know, I, I would be hung over and I couldn't even function the next day to take care of my children. And I was like, this is a problem, you know, like right. this is not okay. And before it would have been like, oh, you know, that's just how it is. And I would have other moms say, oh yeah, those were the days, you know, you just lay on the couch and let them play. And, and it was normalized and it was yeah, fine. Right. And it's like, well, dang, like for me personally, I just didn't want to model that behavior to them, you know? So that's, that's where my curiosity started to come mm, in mm. and I'm not fully abstinent yet, but like just hearing you speak and, and just seeing how effortlessly, you know, you flow and, and you are your energy. It's like, well, of course, like, why wouldn't I, you know, it's, it's, it's a scary thing maybe, but it's also so freeing. It's so freeing. And you're freeing yourself from the fear alone is huge. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I think you picked up on a really important thing. And again, this is definitely not to shame anyone who like drinks around their kids or feels like a glass of wine at the end of the day is the only way that they can kind of like switch off from being full-time mum mode, which in this climate as well, again, so understandable that you yeah. would be doing that. But along the way, a lot of people have asked me, what do I tell my kids about drinking? How can I educate them about like, healthy drinking and what should I tell them about alcohol I'm like how what are you modeling to them like right that's you can everything. say whatever you want but if you're drinking in a way that is modeling to them we drink to relax we drink to feel confident we drink until we can't get up in the morning then that's likely what they will do it's just the way that kids learn you know and so being really conscious and, and coming to, and I've met many people who similarly to you have said, like, I just realized I didn't, I wanted to be like super present yeah. for my children. And again, sometimes I don't have kids, but sometimes that is extremely challenging, <laughs> you know, when you've been present for your kid, like 18 mm -hmm. hours today, and they're still wanting more and they're still wanting attention. They're still wanting whatever it is they need. Um, very very challenging absolutely so then it becomes even more important to find other practices in your life where you can replenish your inner reserves find some kind of like place where you can come back to inside that's like your place your peace mm. you know finding another ritual at the end of the day there are some fantastic alcohol-free wines now there's a company called sapiens which i love there it's made with real wine grapes so it kind of tastes like wine but it's completely de-alcoholized and I found having something like that or an alcohol-free beer can just kind of take the edge off the craving, that half hour of like, I really want the wine. You have this and it's like, okay, I'm, you're into, the it, you're I'm kind of the into the evening now. You're holding the glass. It tastes yeah. kind of the same. You're past the moment. You're into the evening. 
yeah. a few weeks of that and like the cravings start to ebb away, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I love this. And I think mm. that this is really going to spark so many questions for the listeners out there all over the world. Um, what do you want? It's hard to, it's hard to frame this question. What do you want readers of the book to walk away with? What do you want the work to do in the world? Again, I really would like people to know their unique why, why I use alcohol, what this substance does for me. When you know that why, you can start very proactively looking for other things in your life to fulfill that same need, right? You can start looking to, okay, I need different friends. Okay, I need different ways to relax. Okay, I need to let myself know it's okay to relax. That's a huge one. We live in such a workaholic society, speaking of addictions, but like I found it almost impossible to switch off and it's impossible to, to feel okay about having an unproductive day. There was so much guilt around lack of productivity, which again, I realized was so ingrained in me. Like you have to make the most of every day. Mm-hmm. No, how about I just take a day to just do nothing? Am I allowed to do that? That's like revolutionary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So finding your really deep why will help you begin to build a life that fulfills you on a, on a deep, deep level. And I would love for everyone to be able to find that why and not feel like they need this toxic, toxic substance to do that for them. You know, alcohol is the third leading cause of preventable deaths in the United States after obesity and cigarette smoking. Wow. And so when we think about how social attitudes changed around smoking and cigarettes, I think it will take longer with alcohol because it provides a much deeper um, relief from, Mm -hmm. you know, anxiety, feelings we don't want to feel. Um, And it's much more glamorized. Mind you, smoking used to be glamorized. Long-term, we'll begin to see alcohol, particularly for younger generations, in the same way that we see cigarettes, you know? Um, I hope so. So my hope, and and it's not that my hope is to, like, eradicate evil alcohol. My hope (laughs) comes back to a society of individuals who feel like they're really able to kind of, like, give themselves what they need and look after Mm. themselves emotionally, spiritually, as well as physically. And so, yeah. And part of that is about letting people know that it's okay to feel bad, letting people know it's okay to have experienced traumatic events, letting people know that there's help for you out there and that you don't have to kind of like struggle through that stuff alone as well. Well, your work is absolutely providing that help and and bringing people together through your Facebook group all over the world. Please tell our audience where they can find the book, where they can find you online and all of the resources that you've just shared. Well, I hope that the book is available at most places you can buy books online. Um, The Sober Curious Reset is this 100-day guided journey, which you can start at obviously at any time, even if you've already got sober time, you can still kind of start and do this reset because it might provide some different insights. And that was actually a springboard. My original book, Sober Curious, kind of sets up more of my personal story and more of the philosophy. Um, So those are both available. And I'm occasionally on Instagram. (laughs) 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 I kind of love-hate relationship with that app. But I'm Mm -hmm. at Ruby Warrington on there. And then there is this fantastic Sober Curious Facebook group. It's a private group, super supportive. People are very vulnerable, very honest. Um, and very loving with each other. So that's a great space to find other people who are on this path. Beautiful. Ruby, thank you so much for your book, for your time, for your message in the world. It's changing lives and it really does mean so much. Thank you. 
Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Motherhood Unstressed Podcast, and I'm your host, Liz Carlisle. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm so grateful that we got this time together today. And if you love this episode, I would so appreciate it if you would share it out on your social media. Make sure to tag us at Motherhood Unstressed. Connect with us at Motherhood Unstressed. I'd love to connect with you uh, and see where the work has gone in the world. And make sure that you subscribe so that you never miss out on an amazing interview with an incredible guest or our weekly guided meditations every Wednesday. Till next time, see ya.